Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to COVID-26. No, they're not coming back to COVID-26. This is the first COVID-26. Yes, the first COVID-26. And we're going to run, you know what's cool is that pretty soon we're going to like be to my age and we're going to have more COVIDs than my age and you're going to have like more months of COVID before we get there. (laughs) I was kind of semi-exposed, so it's hard to know if I'm going to make it. I know, you might make, make us Mike Osterholm next week. Yeah. That wouldn't be good. It would be hilarious. It would be the Heather show with Dr. Osterholm. Like, he and I, bosom buddies. You'd have only one person to be annoyed by. So let's go with uh, what happened today. Which you means you've just acknowledged that you're annoying. So uh, we had uh, first Jerrica Burge. Finally. <laughs> it's taking me like... It's 26 like, echoes. Yeah, it's taking me 26 echoes to get her name right. Burge. I got friends who have the same name who say it differently. You say so she's the U of M uh, professor and vice chair on research. And uh, they're doing a little study, uh, a little thing on engaging the Somali population by using community-based research for both COVID and non-COVID related issues. And you are welcome to look at the recording of today's echo so you can get all of that information. Or if you would like that information, please just get hold of uh, us really at Katie Stengel at Echo dot no uh, at CatholicHealth.net. <laughs> you're really not getting a hold of us. You're getting a hold of Katie. Um, but the whole point in this engaging the Somali population is really trying to figure out what are their preferred ways of communication, yada yada. But they're using COVID kind of as a way in the door to the, to see what things that they want to know and how they want to learn it and then spread back to old research that's kind of been on hold due to COVID. Something like that. So that was good. All so, right. Then we move to, you uh, have to say his name because you just love oh, it. Oh, I love Dr. Punjabi. And uh, he is department chair of radiology at Hennepin Healthcare. And someday we got to meet this guy because he is super cool. And oh, we uh, could do it podcast i'm gonna do a podcast with this guy a super bonus special maybe part could, two maybe just him and me and basically he had 40 million x-rays today that were just amazing and these 3d uh mock-ups of the of the ct scans that were incredible yeah the lungs just the different color <laughs> they colorized it so uh, you know any kindergartner so, can understand it yeah but, but it I, was super neat yeah and i think that the reality is you should go to mafp.org, which is the Minnesota Academy of Family Practice, and watch the recording to look. Backslash COVID-19-echo. Yeah, but if you get to the MAFP uh, website, you'll be able to find it. But I really think that the pictures and the descriptions, if you need an kind of an update on COVID by x-ray and CT, you need to watch this. You know, you could just call me because everything he was saying, I was able to correctly identify, and he does compliment me several Let's times move on. throughout that. No, but the reality is, is because you just said that, anything you'd need to know about that, I think one of his, uh, you know, huge points was that he could identify COVID from across the room, looking at a CT and a chest X-ray, and he mentioned the last time he was on that, really during a pandemic, every imaging study, especially of the lungs, should comment not consistent with COVID, consistent with COVID, 
or indeterminate. There should be the word COVID on every imaging study during a pandemic, even if it's a negative, but just to mention it. Yeah, I think that would be extremely helpful for all Although, people out there. The key, the key from today... Okay, there's a couple of keys from Dr. Punjabi, but he actually made the quote multiple times. In the middle of the pandemic, there is no differential. Everybody has COVID. Until proven otherwise. Right. But in the middle of a pandemic, there is no differential. It's just, yeah. this is easy for medical students. Yeah. So anyway, one of the things. Probably move on to point number two. Yeah. One of the things that was really interesting is, again, remembering that these, that these infiltrates are patches and they're peripheral. And he said, if you just keep that in mind and you look at the x-ray, it's that hyalur sparing that's really important when you're looking at the x-rays. Okay, what did he, how did he describe that one thing? It's like the opposite, it's like the negative of a pulmonary edema film. Yeah. So it's like if you're looking at a chest x-ray of pulmonary edema and then you looked at the, the negative of it, so when you're on the chest x-ray, you can actually push the reverse button. That's what this looks like. The negative of pulmonary edema. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. But he anyway, talk- yes, patches and peripheral. <clears throat> yeah, and he talked a little bit about those ground glass opacities with consolidation. And often that they look like round kind of nodules, but they um, they can appear as a kind of a classic organizing pneumonia pattern also. And and so really it's this that, it's again more of a feel. It's not like, ooh, that's this or that. It's that look at the, the whole picture, that Hyler mm-hmm. clearing, that peripheral patching, and just the general look. You know, and then you mentioned that whole crazy paving thing again. So you have this peripheral patchiness that, you know, Kurt just mentioned, and you have the ground glass opacities, but then there's actually this linearity um, of the vessels going through the crazy paving. When I see it, especially today's image of this, it was super, uh, I can picture it still. It kind of reminds me of the paved roads in Boston. Just this. You lost me. But anyway, anyway, but then also to check behind the scapula, especially if you're looking at a chest X-ray versus a CT, the at one place if it's not in the the lower lobes peripherally, it might be in the peripherally hiding behind the scapula on the X-ray. Yeah, and one of the things that he talked about really is this X-ray as a predictor of how patients will do and how it really is not. And he ran through a lot of different case studies or different cases where people were in the hospital for prolonged periods of time. And how their initial x-rays, or even, you know, x-rays as they went, didn't predict how well they did. Well, and then it was very time-dependent, where in their course of illness, the chest x-ray itself was done. It could look normal, and then two days later, look like a whiteout. Versus the CT, even early on, tended to show more of the ground glass opacities. Yeah. And what he talked a little bit about was as well, in, in the U.S., it's, U.S. hasn't been real CT crazy, whereas in China... Well, they China, haven't been any radiology studies crazy. Yeah. Whereas uh, a lot of the stuff that was coming out in the literature about CT was mostly from outside the U.S. And uh, so I think that's really interesting to, to kind of note that although there are ways that it can kind of help you, a lot of times it's not our go-to. Right. You're not going to diagnose. I mean, financially, it's not smart to diagnose COVID with a CT. Um, or MRI. Or, or MRI. He did show an accidental identified an incidental finding of COVID on an MRI for something totally different. But he then talked about PEDS imaging because, of course, there's always this controversy. Can kids get COVID or do they just get this MISC? He did show some imaging of kids, chest X-rays, who had COVID, and it definitely looks just like a pneumonia in kids. It doesn't have that peripheral pattern as much. So 
it looked much more typical pneumonia. And then the kids that get the MISC, the multi-inflammatory um, multi-inflammatory system related to COVID thing, um, he showed some images of that. But again, it just kind of looked like this generalized consolidated pneumonia didn't have the typical adult pattern. So I think one of the one one of the most interesting moments of this entire echo was uh, really when he talked a little bit about being a radiologist, where you don't really link the picture to a person and how they had a case that was a pregnant lady. And it became obvious to him at that point that uh, the reality of this whole situation was that when she had the baby, she was unable to kiss the baby. She had a horrible x-ray, had obvious COVID, uh, big problems. And and he, he said, sometimes we don't think about those things and you really should. Mm -hmm. uh, even as a radiologist, it's not just the picture behind that picture as a person. Yeah. Uh, and I he, thought that was a just a cool moment. Well, that and then when it kind of he prolonged that moment, even he had started to go through some severe cases, people who had passed away, um, just different nursing home patients, different just different really bad situations. And how, you know, initially, especially during the lockdown and everything, you know, patients were saying goodbye to their families on Zoom rather than, you know, in person and just how heartbreaking that actually was. And, you know, Hennepin's released a little bit of their, their reins on that and people get to come in and say goodbye now, but just, yeah, very sad. Yeah, and I don't know if there was much else that was super helpful. He talked a little bit about the PEs uh, and that, in fact, even with these high D-dimers that maybe only 5 or 10% of the time, that we're going to see people that actually had a PE. Uh, so not super common. Um, and there were some questions actually about ultrasound, and uh, they're not doing a lot of that at Hennepin Healthcare, although he'd seen some different things out of different countries. That wasn't something we were doing here. Right. I think a couple points I just want to point out that he had made just stroke-like symptoms. Some people, like even with severe COVID, can look like they're having strokes. And that um, he talked about a patient who had basically looked like a clotted off artery in their leg. And it was, but it was related to the coagulopathy with COVID. And, you know, how a, really any kind of presentation, as we know, there's so many different symptoms of COVID. And we'll get to that a little bit more, obviously, with Amanda. But the to not, not think of COVID. Um, he actually gave a couple different situations with the, the happy hypoxia with these super low 54% oxygen saturations. Um, even thinking if someone comes in with flank pain to not rule out COVID because flank pain could be peripheral lower infiltrates due to COVID. Mm. So just a few more bullet points. Well, anyway, then we were on to Dr. Amanda Nasca. She is the infectious disease specialist at Essentia and uh, a friend of ours. Mine. Well, friend of ours, and uh, she just kind of opened up with just kind of that general look at how many cases we're at, which is, of course, over. Oh, I thought you were going to start by saying that she started off by acknowledging she drinks Diet Mountain Dew like you. Well, it's a sad problem, but uh, we did have an observational case, which I'm not going to bore no, everybody let's, with. No, move but, on. Uh, yeah, but clearly it may be preventative, so that's all I can say. No, it's not. Um, and so 13 million global cases and uh, well over half a million deaths now. And, of course, in the U.S., we're just crushing it here with 3.3 million cases and 135,000 deaths. I can remember when they were saying that, by was it by September 1 or August 1, that they thought we'd have 140,000, but we're going to 
we're going to crack that ceiling pretty quickly. Um, yeah, just even on the news. And this is data from yesterday's data. You know, she had to get us her slides by last night. And looking at the data from today, hearing the news with all the, especially in the South. Now, L.A. County is actually, I'm totally digressing here, but L.A. County is debating on another stay-at-home order. Well, and you look at, uh, I think, I believe it was Florida that had 15,000 cases yesterday, mm-hmm. which is just stunning. Well, the one state had like almost 400 deaths in yeah. a day, yeah. which is how many new cases we had. And Minnesota, though, and she showed the, the heat map type thing of Minnesota, we're still kind of cruising along. Although I'm clearly ordering more COVIDs now than I, I did have. in the last couple of weeks, yeah. Yep. So, so really, um, she just mentioned that we really need to pay attention to the data that Obviously, in Minnesota, the young people, and I think across the country, are really a large percentage of the cases right now. Uh, and that, and interestingly, uh, community cases actually surpassed congregate living for Minnesota. What do you think about that? Well, and that's really one of those points where in, in community exposure with an unknown source was was the top right now. And so that's the whole point of wearing masks and being careful in public and all those things. So, Yeah. She mentioned who, and uh, yeah, who, and uh, that whole thing uh, with whether or not it is aerosolized. And that, of course, is going to continue to be argued. She believes that it's probably both aerosolized and droplet. And uh, that's probably the safe ground right now is to pick on that. Well, you know, and then they she moved on to the whole, the fomites on surfaces. You know, and there's two different studies that kind of looked at this, but... You know, the one thing that even she she kind of like half agreed with is that obviously if it's a deeper lung secretion, you hock to loogie on somebody's keyboard or something versus, you know, a sneeze, which is still can transmit illness. But if it's a higher protein area and a more humid area, the virus tends to live a little bit longer, regardless of the surface it's sitting on. So... Yeah, And I don't know how much we want to talk about masking, but she did talk about that quite a bit. There's a lot of papers talking about masking. She had 41 that talked about that. And it's interesting because they, there's one study that said if 95% of the U.S. population always wore masks in public, more than half the deaths that are predicted between now and October 1 would be avoided. So I think that's important to understand that there could we make this better? Probably. Will we? Stay tuned. Well, even she, you know, talked about the cloth masks, and we got into that a little bit more at the end, that even like a simple cloth mask can reduce that that transmission and infective, infectability up to 33%, even with the simplest mask. But. So then she moved on to social distancing. And, man, there are studies, 172 observational studies across 16 countries, blah, blah, blah. And physical distancing of greater than a meter compared to less than a meter really made a, an 82% decrease in your risk. So stay away from people, Dr. Bell. We're not, I don't think we're quite a meter apart, sadly. But now here's the best part of this whole darn talk, sadly, for Kurt. She talked about gender, and this is binary terms. So were you born with XX or XY chromosomes? And this is how they just looked at these studies. Um, one study of 4,800 people uh, about 47% of them were men. What they found was that men had ha- had men with COVID, excuse me, at a higher risk of all-cause death 
more severe COVID and more ICU admissions compared to women when you're controlling for age and comorbidities. Yeah, and what is it? This response related to sex chromosomes, lifestyle factors, smoking, alcohol, obesity, cardiovascular comorbidities. Man, nobody knows. Unclear. So then there was another study that also looked at this, um, the differences of gender. This was going back uh, in China, 3,300 patients, half of which were female. They compared the men to women. Um, The women had milder or no symptoms compared to the men counterparts. And that they actually looked at this and they found that women actually had much lower cytokine levels. So what this would tell you is that the severe complications of COVID, you get that cytokine storm, you get this that big day eight to day 10. This is when everybody ends up on the ventilator with ARDS. Women just don't have that same immune response, I think, because we're a lot more organized and we don't get spastic like men tend to do. Well, I'm just thinking, um, go big or go home. So. That's go right. big or go home if you're <laughs> yeah. referring to heaven or something like that. But in this study, they found that the mortality overall was 5.9% in females, 12.7% in males. That's, and then That's amazing. I mean, that's just stunning. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. And, and the question is, is estrogen protective? Because maybe I should start taking birth control pills. But Or, you know, is it the ACE receptor, you know, that's different, you know, in each sex? Hard to know. Right. And Are, it's, Yeah, these comorbidities... Who knows? And the one thing we're going to go back or make a man to go back and look for us and see if there there was a difference in the ages of these men and women. And if a woman gets past menopause, so the estrogen wouldn't therefore be part of the deal, does, does it still have the benefit or does how many kids you've had change it? Which means also I'm also doing really well since I've had a thousand. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. But. Again, like we mentioned, metformin helps in women. Women are just, you know, anyway, I'll stop. Yeah, please. Uh, so she talked a little bit about the clinical manifestations, and we've seen this in some of the data and different things that have come out here recently about how long do people have symptoms, and are there people that have symptoms that last much longer than we would expect? And clearly, you know, 44% of patients reporting worsened quality of life. Uh, after COVID. And uh, that's not good. Well, and primarily in things like fatigue, shortness of breath, joint pain, chest pain, cough, loss of smell. So, I mean, I've certainly seen this. Uh, I've had patients that said they just still don't feel right. Well, and even that ER doc a couple weeks ago, doctor, was it Baker? No. No. No, the other guy. Um, He just still at a month or so out and he's a fit dude and he just still just didn't feel right. So virology, that was the next thing she focused on. And well, it's this whole mutation thing. Now we've got spike G614, and that replaced D614 as kind of that dominant one hanging around. So it's interesting that we've talked about this before, that a lot of times when you get a mutation, typically it's, well, it's not as bad. And she didn't come right out and say that, like, well, this one's not as bad. It's kind of a wait and see. Well, she did mention, though, that there's... The fitness advantage, initially I was like, oh, so you do better if you're fit. No, no, the the virus actually has an advantage um, with this new mutation and that people are getting higher viral loads so that this mutation has the potential for increased contagiousness. What does that mean? Who knows? They're also showing that apparently this variant, this G614, needs higher levels of neutralizing antibody to be killed, which isn't showing that the virus mutated to be easier. It's not easier. 
No. So diagnostics and serology. That was her next little area. Uh, and one of the things she talked about was, well, what is the sole antibody response in asymptomatic people? Is it less robust? And that's the way it looks. And do you see it much more robust in the severe illness? And we've seen kind of conflicting things on that in the mm-hmm. past. I can remember reading things that were a little bit different. But I think that uh, that's something that's still going on. Well, then, you know, we've seen this out in the, you know, even the media as well. But the, the antibodies only, you know, persisting for a couple of months, which is depressing to people. Because even if you've had COVID, this would be the whole, can you get it back? Because you just don't have the antibodies that persist long enough. And so, but another thing to remember is that that positive PCR doesn't necessarily mean infectiousness. And so there's just a lot of kind of confusion as to how long you're protected, how long do you need to maintain isolation. Sadly, it's ever-changing. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Let's move on to treatment. All I know is that everybody's like, oh, I'm just going to get it and get it over with. Although much isn't working. Yeah, but it didn't work for Sweden. They did. Just today, one of the early um, vaccine studies where they had given vaccines to however many people and then they've gone back and checked their antibody levels, every single one of the people who got the vaccine has shown elevated antibody levels. Again, we don't know how long. We don't know what that means yet. But at least that was a step in the right direction vaccine-wise. They think maybe early 2021. So, again, it's still a ways. Yeah, you're looking at the head of CDC, the medical doctor, and he said, this is two more seasons from even being close to being over. So fall and winter. All right. Well, yeah, that's a positive. <laughs> so treatment. Treatment. Nothing new. No. Um, I, I liked how she just is very critical of things and is not afraid to say it. That whole dexamethasone thing we talked about on one of the COVID journal things we were doing a couple weeks back. She's still very critical because it hasn't been peer reviewed and all of that yet. Um, it did reduce deaths. Um, it did have a significant, statistically significant reduction in um, oxygen without mechanical ventilation and reduction in patients with mechanical ventilation. Did not reduce mortality in people who didn't need any type of oxygenation. But, but the reality is, there is no silver bullet and. I think we all think there should be one, but remember, influenza has been around for a while. Is there a silver bullet? No. Right. And, you know, in the study, right up front, although, again, it looks great, is that the patients were different. The patient populations, they were younger on the ventilated area. They had symptoms for different amounts of time, so it wasn't... It wasn't well controlled. Right. And, again, we're waiting for the peer review, so hopefully soon in our journal updated study thing will have that answer shortly yeah she peer-reviewed it she said eh. Eh. so then they talked a little bit about culture scene well that's a tough one you know the, <laughs> the clinic first off it's like we're taking this gout medicine we're going to fix covid but uh they're basically <laughs> looking at the clinical primary endpoint was met uh when you look at what happened is that they're looking from time from baseline to clinical deterioration in this study, which is kind of backwards uh, from what most of these other things have done. Yeah, it's just the way it was worded. But basically, the you know, different lab, only the D-dimer actually got better on the statistical looking at the lab. CRP wasn't changed. 
the jury is really still out on this Colchicine thing, and I'm sorry. I don't know if you were in the room, Kurt, still when Beth Bilden actually had a comment on this. You know, our favorite toxicologist, also from Essentia, had come in and or had stated, you know, I just don't like Colchicine for anything because you have to titer it to symptoms and side effects and renal stuff, and these people are already sick, and it was just kind of an interesting take on it, and it makes treating other issues so much harder yeah, in the old days like give it take it until you get diarrhea it's like okay yeah but she said that i pretended i knew what she was talking about but i'm like i don't know the last time i ever prescribed this medication like never in the old days yeah you'd use it but I, that's only when people didn't tolerate other things prednisone was wrong with prednisone yeah anyway so then this was pretty neat i don't know this human challenge test i'm trying to sign kurt up but he's too dang old darn it no i'm there <laughs> so basically they took a bunch of volunteers that were given a vaccine candidate. Then they gave them an infectious dose of COVID. I'm and then all over they that. They tried to see what happened um, just to kind of see what the vaccine did. Um, I don't know. I think it's super cool. Uh, I would volunteer, except I have four kids and that might not go well. I'm trying to get Kurt to volunteer, but again, he's too old for this. But They've really, They've it's trying me. to speed up vaccine development and so there are brave souls i don't know what they're paying them but there are brave souls all there it's like we're out of lab rats would anyone like to volunteer yes apparently did this the cholera vaccine and the malaria vaccine i don't know back then you knew you we were gonna get it and die anyway so it might as well be part of a study i don't know about, isn't that what you could say about covid no i mean i'm more afraid of malaria and cholera than i am of covid at the moment which just seems really backwards so I think that was about it. She didn't have much else. Um, it was a great talk. I think really well received by everyone. So we had a couple great speakers. And of course, next week we have our, hopefully our new friend, Dr. Osterholm, who is coming on to give a little talk. And uh, he's not even having slides. So he's just going to talk wing about, it? he's going to wing it, talk about what's going on. I think he gives his talk like, 60 or 80 times a week a day um but yes please bring questions for him that was his big thing in the communication we had with him is he didn't want to make it super powerpoint when he doesn't have time and two he really wanted to make it open Inter for discussion and interactive and interactive so so we will let battle legs play on and we will see everybody or talk with everybody next week again tomorrow if you want to do an opioid slash addiction echo echo you can come on for dextromethorphan dextromethorphan say that talking fast. about the abuse of robitussin corsetin nyquil all those over-the-counter cough medicines which happens way too much way too much and then uh next yeah. week for dr ostrom so thanks again for listening Always in my way. Spin a song for me, Mr. Crank out a tune for me to sing. I got me pan in a jar of me with a sack of paper, that's all I'll need. Spin a song for me, Mr. Crank out a tune for me to sing. I got a big truck and a long dirt road, a case of cheap beer and a girl I know. Property lost to hell That's a bit much for me Mr. Not quite a song for me to sing